Good morning, if y'all stand with us, let's sing together. This is just a great song to remind us why we're here. Let's just sing that song together. Worship our God.
wherever spring arrives to heal the ground. Wherever searching comes, the book itself. A trace of what we're looking for. So be quiet now and wait. Is growing. The tide is coming in. If it's our change, if it's our love, if it's our challenge, bring us back to this. He is the one, He is Jesus. What was said to the lost and said to me here in my chest, so be quiet now, rest. and uh, pray with me. Father God, we, we thank you for a world, for creation that sings your praises. Lord, we thank you for what we learn from the flowers and from the stars and from the beauty of what you've made, that you are good, that you are awesome. And Lord, we come as a people um, praising you, but also confessing that we're a people that often lives in rebellion. That often instead of worshiping you, we worship self. Instead of praising you as the great creator God, we praise our own works and our own flesh. We praise created things instead of the creator. And Lord, I pray that we would follow the lead of your creation that's in submission to you. We pray that we would be transformed, that our hearts would be ones that give you the glory and the credit 
that is owed only to you. That as we worship as a people together, gathered, that that would encourage us, that would fan into flame what we know is true, how good and how great you are. So we confess that we've strayed far from you, but we receive your forgiveness. We, free, we, uh, we thank you and receive the faith that you give us to trust in you, to change us, to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, it says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we pray that this morning, that you would continue to lead us so that we could worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name.
depths of the Was blind. 
listen to your word now. God, make it real in our lives. Help us to take hold of it this week. God, and to trust you in what you say. It's your name I pray. Amen. If you'll stay standing for just a moment, uh, I'd like you to introduce yourself to a couple of people next to you and share with them specifically a job that you've had in the past that you did not enjoy. I'm sure you can come up with something. So share that with someone next to you.
There we go. Now I'm on. I had a chance to say this earlier. If you missed it, this is not a pink shirt. Um, I'm glad glad for you to come up and take a closer look. There's little maroon stripes, little kind of odd reddish stripes, but just just want you to know that. Just, it looks pink to me. Just trying to lay the facts out there, people. I just want you to understand everything. I um, also need to let you know that this is Kurt and Jennifer Taylor's last Sunday. I don't think they're in this service. They're maybe in Sunday school right now, but I'll make sure you grab them. Give them a hug. We'll, we will miss them. They're going on to Germany for a few years, um, but have been here since uh, since day one. Maybe it was day two, but from the beginning, um, they've been here for a long time, and, and we will miss those those guys. Um, if you can open up your Bibles to Second Timothy, chapter one, we're in Second Timothy chapter one, and what we've been doing is studying these pastoral letters. Uh, we studied Titus for several weeks. Uh, Titus, First Timothy, and Second Timothy are pastoral letters where the church is given directions on how to be the church. And uh, very similar themes in Titus and 1 Timothy. So we just looked at Titus and we're kind of skipping ahead to 2 Timothy now. Um, In Titus, there's a big emphasis on who the church was supposed to be. We called that the counterculture, that we were trying to build this alternative culture, like a city within a city. This, This culture based not on the lies that the serpent said in the garden, that you don't need God, you can do life on your own, you can be your own God, but basing our culture, our city, on the truth of who God is. Uh, that we need him intimately involved in our life and that he is a gracious God. He is holy, but he forgives our rebellion against his holiness and he forgives us and transforms us. And so we're trying to build a culture based on that. We call that counterculture. Um, with the Second Timothy theme, the idea is to extend that then into the world. And so we have a picture of that city then growing out into the desert. And that really picks up on a theme that, that really started back in Genesis. In the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in this paradise... He said, go go and and multiply that in the world. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, push paradise out into the wilderness. And that's our call. Um, And what we see again and again is Paul encouraging Timothy to carry on, even though the odds are stacked against him. Even though it may feel like he's fighting on this frontier, he's fighting against the wilderness to carry on and to persevere and to keep going. Uh, And we understand from looking at the different references to Timothy that he was probably kind of a timid sort of guy. He was uh, required lots of encouragement. We see in 1 Timothy 4, Paul saying, don't let people look down on you because you're young and inexperienced. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul was telling the Corinthians to make sure that, that they welcome Timothy and that they don't make him afraid and they receive him well. And, uh, and then we have other references as well where we just see Paul continually encouraging Timothy to, to keep at it, to carry on. And that's really the theme of 2 Timothy. And it applies to us as well, because if, if Timothy hadn't carried on, we might not be here today. And if we don't carry on, uh, future churches won't be there in the future. It, it's our job to multiply. It's our job to grow and to share this good thing that we have in Christ with, with other people. Um, today it's called On Fire. We're looking at just two verses in chapter 1. We're looking at verse 6 and 7. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Last week we saw all these, these motivators that Paul gave Timothy that that God has given us this grace and mercy and peace and that Paul loves Timothy and God loves Timothy and God loves us and and he gives us this grace and this sincere faith. And so now Paul says, because of all that, he wants him to carry on and be on fire. Starting in verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning, uh, that you would open up your word for us so that we would understand it, and so that uh, we would not be afraid. Like Timothy, we would be encouraged to carry on. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be on fire for you. Help us to understand uh, who you are and what you've done in our life. And we pray that that would translate into changed lives, that we would look differently. We thank you for moving in our lives. We thank you for bringing your spirit to teach us your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I shared a few years ago, really at the very beginning of the church, so there was just 10 or 20 of you there, I think, at at that point. Um, I shared a story about one of my early uh, experiments with barbecuing, with with grilling. I was a newlywed. We had a little apartment, and with our little cute apartment, we had a little cute barbecue grill. You know, one of those little round, it was called a little smoky, I think, Um, a little Weber grill or something. So this little round grill, and uh, apparently I'd not given the coals enough ventilation, so they'd kind of burned for a while and then died back down. 
And I blew them a little and nothing seemed to happen. So I thought, I, I know, I'll just add a lot more lighter fluid because that makes things burn well. I'll just pour a bunch of more lighter fluid on there, light a match, you know. And I, I was smart enough to keep my distance, right? I'll, I would back up and throw the match in. Um, so I'm pouring the lighter fluid into the little smoky. And it's basically filling up about an inch and a half or two inches thick in the bottom with, with lighter fluid, which is highly flammable, by the way. Um, and what I didn't realize is there actually was one little glowing coal uh, in the back that I couldn't see, maybe on the second tier. Um, so it wasn't in, in the inch and a half of lighter fluid. But once that lighter fluid got up to a certain level, it, it caught that, that burning ember. And, and there was this fireball, this just boom, you know, that just kind of blew up this fireball. Um, I think it blew some windows out down the block. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I know it knocked me back for sure. Um, and, you know, and I'm checking myself, okay, my, my face is still there and my clothes are still, they're not on fire. I'm okay. You know, okay, I survived. Um, I'm all right. So I thought I'd go in and, and share with my wife what had happened, which is, one of the reasons she doesn't like me to barbecue much anymore. Um, but I go in to tell her, and she's like, oh, honey, oh, there's that, oh, that smells terrible. You've got to go look in the mirror. There was this weird odor. I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went, and I looked in the mirror, and, and my eyelashes were all bent and curled up. My eyebrows had been singed in the front of my hair. I used to have really thick hair, but then at that point, it, it kind of got burned back a little bit on the front. So just the front of my face all burnt back. Um, and, and I think a lot of times when we, when we hear someone saying, you, you really need to be on fire for the Lord, right? We think of this, this kind of artificial puffing up, yeah, blow some lighter fluid on there and, and just really, let's see an explosion. Let's see some passion. Let's see, you know, just work up something and, and make yourself more excited. And, and, and I just want to encourage you that I think it's something a little more subtle. It's something a little more natural when it comes to the spiritual life. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't advise you to do what I did and pouring a bunch of lighter fluid on it, but... But there's this other safer method, you know, just blowing, just gently fanning those coals and just encouraging those things to grow. And that's, that's really what Paul is, is saying here. Um, this, this word literally in the Greek is, is to fan into flame. That's what it says in the ESV, NIV, I think in the King James, it said stir up, um, literally stir up that fire. In other translations, it's kindle that fire. But it's like the, the fire may be getting a little weak. Let's, let's help it grow. Let's, let's fan that into flame. Let's help it grow and expand and, and be on fire for what God has called us to do. And the first thing I want to look at here is, is that Timothy is being called on to be on fire uh, in, this, in the specific context of his calling. He has a specific calling that God has, has given him. It says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. A lot of you may have different uh, ideas when you hear the, the term laying on of hands. And, and in, in the scriptures, the laying on of hands went along with uh, lots of different spiritual exercises and prayer and different things. Uh, we see Jesus laying his hands on the children and blessing them, you know, blessing the children. We see Jesus laying his hands on people that were blind to heal them. And we see that again in Acts, the apostles laying their hands on people to heal them. And I think a lot of times these days in some churches, um, that's, it's, it's exclusively associated with healing or miraculous kind of uh, incredible kind of thing. Sometimes, you know, you see the, the, you know, somebody slamming somebody on the head and they fall out. And somehow that heals them. Um, but, but in the scripture, it's also really often associated with commission, kind of like anointing someone uh, for a duty. Like you, you would see them anointed in the Old Testament. Laying on of hands falls in that category as well. Or, or almost like think of when someone is knighted. Like I W sir so and so, and they place the sword on them. It's that it's that kind of commissioning you. You've been given a, a status, a mantle, a burden to carry. You have a specific calling, a job here to do. And, and we we are more sure that this is what it's talking about here because in First Timothy also the other the other Timothy book, the other letter written to Timothy, it says in First Timothy four fourteen, do not neglect your gift, which was which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then he goes on to say, be diligent. Give yourself wholly to these matters so everyone can see your progress. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. So, so sandwiched in the middle of this, Paul's referencing when they laid their hands on him to give him this gift. And he's saying, preach the word. Teach it. Watch your doctrine closely. Watch your life. Be a good man of God as you lead others in the church. And so we have, again, this other reference that seems to be saying that at the laying on of hands, they... 
through prophecy, through laying of hands, in this moment in time, they commissioned Timothy for this ministry. They gave him this calling from God. And this is also picked up in Acts 6 and in Acts 13. In Acts 6, you see the first deacons, the, the assistants to the apostles, they, they laid their hands on them to say, we're commissioning you to do this work, to help us out. In Acts 13, you see the first missionaries, and you see them commissioned. They laid their hands, the elders laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas to send them out to be missionaries. So you get this context of, of the laying on of hands, giving someone a gift, which again is, is the term picked up for, for every basic skill and ministry that we're given. Paul calls it in all the other letters of the New Testament, gifts. You have a particular wiring and a passion and a skill set that God can use for his glory, and that's called in the scriptures a gift. If you're a leader, that, that means you have the gift of leadership, and it's a burden and a, a ministry and a calling you have to lead others. If you're a, a servant, if you have uh, the calling of, of mercy or compassion, that's, that's a gift, that's a calling that God has bestowed on you, and he says, I want you to, to fan that into flame. I want you to do that thing that I've called you to do. I've gifted you, I've equipped you to do this, and I want you to continue in doing these things. It's referenced uh, uh, with the idea of many body parts in uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Have you all ever heard those chapters talked about before? That we all have different gifts and we're like different body parts. That, that we should receive as a gift this calling that God bestows on us and, and say, thank you, God. Thank you for gifting me in this way. Instead of despising it and saying, no, I wish I was this. God made me like this and I wish I was this person. I want that job. Paul says, no, that's crazy. I, I found a picture here of a, of a body. Um, the human body is a little more complex than this one. This is basically a mannequin. Um, but it, it, it doesn't make sense for the hand to say, I don't want to be a hand anymore. I want to be a nose, right? It, it just doesn't make sense. That's not what the hand is made for. The hand is made to be a hand. And, and God has crafted all of us uniquely. We have unique wiring. Some of us are, are good at some things that, that others are not. Matter of fact, all of you are good at many things that, that I am not, right? I mean, we, we all have different gifts, different skills, different passions, things that we are excited about, um, things that, you, you know, you, you see this in your, in your children if, if you're a parent. You raise your children and you just see some of them are just bent towards certain things. And the goal of parenting is to train that, that bent in them to give that back to God as a gift for His glory, to use that in His service and in ministry to him, whatever job you have, whatever education you've been given, whatever experiences, uh, even difficult things that you've gone through in life are shaping influence that God can then use to help you help others and, and to share with others what you've learned through those difficult processes. So we're, we're all, just like Timothy, to receive our calling, our bent, our design as a gift from God. It's a gift that was given to us. It's God's Grace. If we understand that God's a gracious God, then we can receive what he's given to us as a gift and exercise it in that way. In 1 Peter, it references, again, this idea of gifts, and it, it makes it a little simpler. Like in Romans 12, he gives a list of like five or six, and in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives a list of five or six different gifts. And there are these long lists, but Peter, you know, he was kind of a, a simple guy, and he just gave two categories of gifts, basically. Peter says there's basically speaking gifts and serving gifts. And in either one, make sure you're exercising those gifts. Make sure you're doing those things as if it's from God. It's not from you. It's not about you. It's for God. God didn't give that to you for your glory. God gave you your gifts, your skills, your passions for his glory. So that all of life can be lived in worship to him. Glorifying God as the one that designed you that way. In 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10, he talks about this idea. He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So whatever gift you have, it's, it's for others. It's for God's glory. Faithfully administering God's grace, again, this, this unmerited favor, this gift that he gives to us freely in its various forms. He says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very wor words of God. If anyone speaks, he should do it as, as if you're speaking the very words of God. Again, don't think that it's about you and what you have to say and what you want to get across. It's easy for someone that's gifted as a speaker to start to think that it's about them. It's about what they have to say and it's about their wisdom or their tongue or their words. But he's saying, think of it as, as you've got the words of God to share with other people. No matter what kind of speaking gift you have, you may be a counselor, you may be a teacher, um, you may be designed in different ways to use language to speak into others' lives. Well, see that, again, as a calling that God's given you. 
God's gifted you. He said, here, here, share this with other people. And then he says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. If you have a serving gift, you can start to think that it's about your flesh. You can start to think, well, I'm the one serving. Nobody else is doing it, so I've got to do it. And it's all up to me. And you can then begin to carry it as a burden or begin to despise that, that service that you're giving. Whether you're serving your country or you're serving as a Sunday school teacher or serving in, in any kind of capacity. We can start to think that it's about us. And it's about our strength. And he's saying, serve with the strength that God provides. He says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, it's all about him. It's grace that we have been given to share with others. It's a stewardship. You've been given responsibility for the gifts and the skills that you have. They've been loaned to you for 70 or so years. You are to use them for God's glory, for God's purposes. The next thing that Paul points out to Timothy is that he should operate in fearlessness. Part of being on fire is being fearless. Uh, this word, it's, it's in verse 7. It says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear. This is not the common average word for fear, right? This, this normal word for fear can be a good fear or a bad fear. It can be uh, the, the bad fear of cowardice or it can be the good fear of awe and respect for God. You know how that's used, the fear of God, that we would respect him, that we would respect his holiness and, and not be arrogant before him, but be humbled by him. Well, that's kind of a good kind of fear, right? But this is actually a different word, and this word uniquely means cowardice. Uniquely, this word means being being timid and being cowardly, and and that doesn't come from God. He's saying if if you're a coward, that, that doesn't come from God. But God empowers us to live our life with a sort of reckless abandon. That that even though we know we might get hurt, we're willing to storm into whatever God calls us to do. God gives you a calling. He says, do this for me. Do this for my glory. We, we, we receive that from him. We start to walk in obedience, even though we, we know we might get hurt. We know we may be flinching heading into it, but we still head into it. Um, a friend of mine just gave me this after the first service. says, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage doesn't mean there's no fear whatsoever. Courage doesn't mean you don't flinch or worry at all. Courage means that, that you know God's got your back and that it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out okay. You may get hurt. You may get banged around. You may get beat up. But, but in the end, God's got you, and, and it's going to be okay. And if God called you there, you're, you're going to be okay. And we can live our life with, with a reckless abandon. I, I remember when I was a, a younger kid, I got these Boy Scout magazines. Anybody, Boy Scouts, get the little magazine, Boy's Life? Remember that? And my favorite section, I don't know if you remember this, was the Saving Somebody's Life section. There was some dramatic story of some kid that had used his Boy Scout training to save someone's life in an emergency. And that always kind of made me nervous um, because it usually was, was using his Boy Scout training. And I remember thinking, what if I can't remember the double half hitch and then this person dies and it's all my fault? You know, there's this, this burden that I felt because I wasn't the best Boy Scout in the world. Um, but then I remember around that same time, somewhere elementary school or junior high, I remember hearing a story about someone that had saved the life of someone out of an icy river. There had been a plane that had crashed in an icy river. I want to say it was like maybe in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you remember that, maybe in the 80s or something. But, but there was this uh, plane that had crashed. And I remember hearing the story, which was exciting to me because this guy hadn't saved their life based on uh, 12 hours of a first aid course or learning to tie the, uh, the special knots and Boy Scouts, but he had just saved their life just by, just by going after people with reckless abandon. It wasn't, after, it wasn't about some kind of you know, main skill set that he learned or anything, but he dove into these, these icy waters. I, I got a picture of it to illustrate for you because I know we only see that you know, like once every 10 years around here. Um, but he, he just jumped into these icy waters and started pulling people out. Not, not because he thought, I've got it all together and, and I've calculated the risk and I know I can do this. I mean, it, it was just people needed help. And he just jumped in. And that's the kind of fearlessness that, that we should live with as Christians. That there's this boldness that we should have of, of not thinking about ourselves. And really that's what cowardice is. Again, you can be brave and still be scared. But cowardice is thinking only of yourself. Cowardice is thinking only about self-preservation. But there's a kind of fearlessness that sets in our life when we've been taken hold of by the gospel. I've talked about this before. That what A friend of mine used to call the platinum rule. Uh, not the golden rule, but the platinum rule. Whatever you believe about God then affects the way that you live. If you believe that God is selfish and uninterested in, in humanity, then you will be selfish and you will be uninterested in other people. 
But if you believe that God is a sacrificing God, that despite his holiness and absolute righteousness, he, he gave up his rights, as it says in Philippians, he gave up his rights to give himself for us and, and to die for us. If you believe that about the God of the universe, that will begin to affect the way that you live. You will begin to live your life with a reckless abandon. There may not be a lot of icy rivers around here to throw yourself into, but there will be situation after situation where you can give yourself for others, where you can actually be generous, where you can actually help other people, where you can be self-sacrificial, not obsessed with who you are and self-preservation, but you can live your life in in a fearlessness, not living as a coward, always thinking about yourself and calculating everything and trying to make sure you'll be okay, but, but jumping out in reckless abandon to love other people. And this kind of leads us to the last point. The last point is that uh, we should live our lives in an authentic spirituality. Because that kind of fearlessness can't just be conjured up. That kind of fearlessness cannot just be created from the outside in. It's not something you can just learn in religion, in religion or through ritual. It's something that God's Spirit has to work in your life by faith as you begin to trust him and begin to see God for who he really is. As I said, if, if you're not living your life generously, if you're not living your life freely and in fearlessness, it's a good sign uh, that you don't truly understand the gospel and understand who God is and what he's done for us. But this last point, the, the end of 7b, we say that, that we shouldn't live our lives in fearlessness, but he says, but you should have the spirit of power and love and self-control. Those are marks of authentic spirituality. That you're living your life in power and in love and in self-control. Those are not things that you can fake, right? That's not a kind of religious suit that you can put on on the outside and go, I'm going to be powerful. I'm going to just love people. I'm going to to be self-controlled. You can't just put that on you. These These are checks against fake spirituality. We've talked a lot before, you know, a key text... That, that overlaps with this is Galatians 5, when it talks about Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it talks about the life lived in, in a step with the Spirit versus the life lived in your own strength and your own flesh. Well, the life of the Spirit, this, it, it bears fruit in your life, it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all, and all these things. Paul says there's no law against those things. These are good things that just work up from the inside out of your life. Naturally, they grow up. From within you. And that's what authentic spirituality is. It's living life in humble dependence on the Lord. Not just immediately transforming yourself and making yourself into a new person, but continuing to walk in faith and being transformed as you understand who God is. Begin to make change after change in your life based on trusting God, based on trusting who He is, trusting in His character. I found a picture of something that we used to have. We used to have a little play kitchen when our kids were little. I don't know if any of you have toddlers and you have a little play kitchen. Kids can play with that for hours. And you can have a little basket of plastic fruit. Any of you ever tried the plastic fruit? Anybody ever eaten? Some of you have. You've eaten the plastic fruit. It's not, it's not very good, really. Um, I don't think there's a lot of calories. There's not much fiber. And it's really hard to bite into it, honestly. Um, and it, it's kind of silly, right? Because we know that, that fake fruit is not satisfying. It, it's Because it's fake. It's not real. But so often that's, that's how we try to do our religious life, right? We, we try to like create these marks of spirituality. We, we conjure them up. We try to make them in a factory. You know the, the old Presidents of the United States song, Peaches? I get my peaches from a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. You know, like... Like that's where peaches come from? No, they, they're grown on a tree. It's a natural process. God has a lot to do with that and, and growing that fruit. Well, that's the kind of fake spirituality we often lead. I get my spirituality down the block. I go to this meeting. Uh, we, we carve out some little fruit and we stick it on us and go, hey, look at us. We're spiritual. That's not the way it should be. We should get our spirituality naturally by growing in our faith in Christ. By learning to lean on him more and more, restoring that broken relationship that got ripped apart in the garden where Adam and me said, we don't want to live life in obedience to you. We want to live life on our own. We want to be our own gods. Well, the gospel can restore us to actually worshiping God as God, seeing God as ultimate, loving him, seeing him as the one thing that we need to transform our life. Authentic spirituality is not something you can just put on yourself, but it's something that God's spirit works into your heart as, as you are amazed by God and his character and who he is and what he's done for us. Like it talks about in Matthew 13 that the kingdom is like a treasure 
in a field that this man found this treasure and with joy he sold everything else that he had because the joy of this treasure was overwhelming. He wanted it more than anything else. That's authentic spirituality, that we would want God, that we would want that relationship with Him. And then it, it begins to work itself out in these, these different ways, in power. Power is a, a check on doing life in our own strength. If, you're, if you don't have any supernatural power in your life, it's a, it's a good indicator that you're not really walking in an authentic spiritual relationship with God. Romans fifteen thirteen says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You, you can't fake that. That's, that's a genuine trust that begins to work itself out in your life because of who God is, because he's changing you from, from the inside out. That's authentic. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about asking God to remove this thorn in his flesh, this weakness that he has, and God says, no, I'm going to leave this weakness in your life so that you can learn to trust in me and trust in my power. As you feel God calling you to, to fan into flame the gifts and the, and the specific callings and skills that you have and to use them for His glory, there are going to be limits to that. And you can't wait until you've solved all the problems and fixed every obstacle. You can't wait to use your gifts until everything's perfect because it's never going to be perfect. Because we're broken people and we live in a broken world. Creation is groaning, longing for the sons of God to be revealed, it says in Romans 8. And we are groaning as well, longing to be fixed and longing for everything to be right. But we can't wait until then. We have to step out in faith, trusting that God's power is enough, like, like God told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He said to me, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Step out in faith. To be on fire for God does not mean to have it all together. It means to trust Him. And to do what he's asked you to do, wherever you are, wherever you go. Love is also a check on fake religion, on fake spirituality. Love can, can only grow out of authentic spirituality. Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given it to us. It's, it's been poured into us. It's something, again, that grows because we fall in love with God. We see that he's for real, that he left heaven and came to earth to give himself for us. That's, that's transformative. It's not just something, it's not just a door you walk through when you first become a Christian and begin following Christ. It, it's a place that you live forever, continuing to see, continuing to go deeper in understanding who God is and that He's given Himself for us. Self control is also a check on uh, authentic or on fake spirituality. Just like you can't fake supernatural power, you can't fake love, you can't just follow the law and then all of a sudden you're loving, you've, you've got to actually love people from the heart. You also can't fake self-control. Uh, self-control is a check on, on what I would call cheap grace. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, brands of Christianity and really of other religions too that, that have what sounds like grace, but grace to them is not God willing to pay the ultimate price to buy us back. It's not God willing to pay to bring us into his righteousness and give us the gift of righteousness, but it's more like a God that just doesn't care. And that's what grace means to a lot of people. Grace means just overlooking everything. It means just kind of sweeping things under the rug. And that's not biblical grace. Grace cost God something. It cost him his life, the life of his son. So grace is, is costly and transformative. And so when you see people who say, yeah, I believe in grace, which means I can do whatever I want to and live any way that I please, that's not grace. That's not transformative, authentic spirituality. That's not the Holy Spirit working this love and this power into people's lives and beginning to transform them and, and make them self-controlled. Second Peter uh, chapter 1, he says it like this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter says his power gives us everything we need. By our knowledge of Him. Knowing Him. Knowing who He is. That's faith. Saying that's who God really is and I'm trusting Him to be who He says He is. That gives us everything we need. And He lists these things out. And He says, add to all these things uh, faith and goodness and goodness to knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance. These things grow out of God's divine power being poured into us and transforming us through, through knowing Him. Through understanding who He really is. It's not something you can fake but it's authentic and it comes from the inside out. This is what uh, Timothy needed to be encouraged with. Because Timothy often felt like giving up. As we said earlier, uh, many of you may feel like giving up. 
You may not have the same calling that Timothy has. We all have the same general calling that Timothy has, right? As God's people, we all have this general call to be salt and light, as it talks about in Matthew 5 that we would represent him in the world, that we would have a preservative and saving effect in the world, that we would be a part of his plan of redemption that's moving out into the world, multiplying Eden, extending that into this broken world. We all know in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, too, or 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about being ambassadors, literally being his representatives. So, So we share in this general call to be God's people in this world, to reflect him to those around us. You may not be called to be a pastor, to lead churches as, as Timothy was or other people may have been, but you've all been given a unique calling in your life, both, both the general call to be God's people, to represent him well, and a more specific call, taking the gifts and the experiences and, and the education that you have and the way that you were raised and all this, this thing that works itself up to make you unique, to make you special, to, to give you this divine design that God has given you to use for his glory. So when we talk about being on fire for God, it's being on fire to use what he's given us to to worship him, to to give that back to God. As we think about how to to literally fan a a fire into flame, I was remembering what worked better than lighter fluid um, back when I was a kid was we had this thing called bellows. Do you know what those are? It was kind of like this big uh, pump that you would like blow air into your fireplace with. So it had this long metal tip, so I guess it wouldn't get burned up. You could kind of stick it in to the edge of the fire. I used to love to play with this when I was a kid because the fire could kind of die down a little bit with, with proper parental supervision too, by the way, children. Um, the fire would die down a little bit and, and it would look like there was nothing left, but you could stick this in, you could throw some sticks on top and, and you could just blow that and just fan that air. And as it slowly blew on those coals, it would fan it into flame and that fire would begin to burn again. And what's really cool to me is when you, when you look at that in the scriptures, that the word for spirit is also the word for wind and, and, and for breath. And, and so there's this concept that we see throughout the scriptures that, that God fans our life into flame with his spirit. Again, when Paul calls on Timothy to fan his gifts into flame and to, to live authentically and, and step with his spirit, again, going back to just the verse right before this in verse 5 where he says, Timothy, I, I'm so thankful for your sincere faith. He's not saying, Timothy, work it up from scratch. He's not saying, Timothy, just throw a bunch of lighter fluid and do whatever you need to do to to burn. He's saying to continue in this walk of faith, accepting from God the grace that he gives you, accepting his spirit, calling on his spirit to blow these things into, into flame in your life. And that's what he calls on us to do as well. That's what prayer is. God, help me. I know what you want me to do. Help me to step out in faith. I'm I'm scared. But I want to live fearlessly, stepping out in courage and stepping out in faith, obeying you with the calling, with the gifts that you've given me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you've made us. Lord, I thank you even for the, uh, for the difficulties I've gone through, for the, the injuries that I've sustained and the things that, that have made me a unique person. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to know how to use uh, all that we've learned all that we've experienced, for your glory. That we wouldn't worship ourselves, that we wouldn't worship creation, but we would worship you, the creator. And that we would be on fire for you, giving glory to you, honoring you with the life that you've given us. We pray that as a church, that we would be a part of what you encouraged Timothy to do, to carry on, to persevere, to continue walking in faith with you. And we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You may be dismissed.